This is Sparks and Wiry Cries, taking a modern look at classical song with Martha Guth and Erica Switzer. Welcome to Sparks and Wiry Cries. We're your hosts, Erica Switzer and Martha Guth. Today we're talking about great Canadian legends, that is, uh, legends of the vocal, of the vocalist persuasion, in fact. Um, and legends of the compositional persuasion as well. That's right. Um, our singers today are tenor John Vickers and the late, great Maureen Forrester, who passed away this past June, in fact. The first composer we're going to speak about today is Cyril Irving Glick. He was born in 1934 and passed away just in 2002. He was Toronto-born and bred. He received a number of top awards in Canada, including a Governor General's Award, and he was a member of the Order of Canada. And for those of you who don't know what that is, that's basically like being knighted in Canada. It's a big deal. You recognize them with their pins on their shoulders. It's like a little white, uh, looks kind of almost like a dog leaf. Yeah. Yeah. Both Maureen Forrester and John Vickers commissioned works from Glick, and this is actually, um, this next bit of information is taken from his obituary in The Independent, which is a London paper, which tells you how big his influence was. Uh, it's written there, the best of his work glows with an unashamed lyricism, but it wasn't simply melody for its own sake, as Glick explained in an interview in 1985. He says, I really feel that there is so much anguish and suffering in the world today that it's time to say something that is powerfully positive in the world now. For Glick, music and Judaism were very strongly intertwined. His Jewishness had a strong feeling of relating to his father's singing in the synagogue. Um, his father was a cantor, of course. That's yeah. right, and uh, he sang with him because he was in the choir when he was 11 years old. In 1962, he joined the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation at the CBC as a radio producer and stayed there for 23 years, a time he described as just thrilling. He was commissioning composers, that would be his colleagues, he provided platforms for young musicians, he worked with people like uh, Colin Davis, Pierre Boulez, um, but at the CBC the funds for music began to dry up and Glick gradually grew disenchanted with his employer's artistic policy. He reported that the CBC started to reflect what was going on in the community rather than originate what it wanted to go on in the community. And so in 1986 he resigned. This is hilarious. This is hilarious because it could have been written, oh... This Yesterday. year? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, people have really been up in arms about, um, at least in our musical community, about how, how uh, the CBC has, mm. uh, shall we say, uh, taken away much of its classical music right. uh, programming. I think their word is probably restructured. Yeah. Re-envisioned or something yeah. like that. But things have changed significantly, and, and there's a lot of uh, anger. And, and I think it's interesting just to see that, there ha that this has gone on at other times yeah. within our lifetime. Yeah. The first piece that we're going to hear today is from Two Landscapes. This is a, a, a pair of songs written in 1972, commissioned by the CBC, and dedicated to John Vickers, who did give the first performance in 1973. Glick wrote the following. With deep respect for the poetry of Kenneth Patchen, I attempted to write music which emulated his poems, lyrical, warm, tender, and beautiful. So I thought it would be a good idea to read you this poem, so that when we're listening to the music, we can uh, hear some of that, that lyricism, that warmth, that tenderness in the music and how it reflects back into the poetry. For you and I are bathed in silence, here where the country all about is quiet, asleep in the softness of this evening star, sparkling on the wrist of night, 
the village lights like ancient bards at prayer coming gently to us over fields of growing corn and docile sheep. We'd like belonging, here where sleep is not of city kind, where sleep is full and light and close as outline of a leaf in a glass of tea. But knowledge in the heart of each of us has painted rotten eyes within the head. We have no choice. We see all weeping things and gaudy days upon this humble earth, blending taxis' horns and giant despair with every landscape here or anywhere. I have never actually heard Joan Vickers live, um, but in fact, my namesake, my aunt Martha, has heard him on a number of occasions. And I asked her what made his performances so riveting, and she said that um, really it was a number of things. The size of his voice was huge. It was double that of anyone else on stage, um, and it really took the performance into another dimension. He said that he sang with an open, wrenching, hollow sound that, was, that seemed like a window into his soul. And I have to say that that is a bit of his trademark. And not only that, in this particular recording, which is, in my opinion, extremely special, that is very, very apparent. Um, she said he was transparent emotionally, which made his performances very affecting. And the range of his dynamic was really just huge. Our second story also relates to that huge sound of his. Mary Morrison, a very respected voice teacher in Toronto, was also a soprano, was in fact in a production of Naughty Marietta, an operetta. This is in Winnipeg sometime around 1947. And Mary told this story that she, she showed up, she was the soprano lead, and she went to rehearsal and she heard this voice. And she said to John Vickers, do you know what you sound like? And I'm, I'm guessing that he said no. <laughs> and so she convinced him to make a little recording of, um, of some music. And she took that back to Toronto, where she was from, and played that for... Uh, members of the Royal Conservatory of Music in Toronto. And their response was to give a scholarship to John Vickers. He moved to Toronto and he studied there. And that was the beginning of a very long friendship between the two. And the beginning of his career. That's right. And that, that took him away from working at the Hudson's Bay Company. I wonder right. if they ever forgave Mary for stealing him away like that. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I know that his intentions were really to be a businessman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, so here we have it. This is We Must Be Slow by Cyril Irving Glick, John Vickers tenor, Richard Wojtak piano.
Peace. 
Maureen Forrester was born in 1930 and raised in Montreal. She sang in church choirs and actually began her training as a soprano. And that's weird, right? Yep. Kind of hard to imagine. Yeah. So eventually a voice teacher recognized the potential of her lower voice. <laughs> ding, ding. And she became the contralto that we know and love. Um, she sang a few small roles in her early 20s and then gave her recital debut in 1953 with John Newmark at the Montreal YMCA. That's also weird. Kind of odd. <laughs> not exactly where one would expect to make their debut, but Maybe why it not? actually was a, well, we don't know. Maybe it was a big deal. Maybe it was a big deal. It's, you know, we weren't there. Nope. That same year did see her Montreal Symphony Orchestra debut uh, under Klemperer with Beethoven 9. So if the YMCA wasn't a big deal, certainly Klemperer and Beethoven 9 were. Yeah. Maureen Forster was a tremendous supporter of Canadian composers throughout her life, and she often performed works by not only Glick and Coulthard that we'll hear today, but also Harry Summers, Jean Papineau Couture, Gabriel Charpentier, Robert Fleming, Harry Friedman, Keith Bissell, Oscar Morowitz, Armory Schaefer, Stephen Chapman, and the list goes on and on and on. So here we have, uh, in fact, two other stories about uh, Maureen Forrester, sort of like our, our John Vickers stories. Um, and the first one comes from a very great friend of ours, Lynn McMurtry, who is a mezzo. I don't know if this is her story or if she heard it from somebody else, but she certainly tells it very well. And that is that Maureen Forrester, whenever she was giving recitals of Canadian music, would travel around with a dozen or so copies of the score in her suitcase. They would all be signed with her name. And uh, anytime anybody came up to her at the end of the performance and said, oh, Miss Forrester, this, this piece was just wonderful, I loved it, she would in fact hand that person a score and say, this is my score and I'd like to give it to you. Not knowing, of course, that she had 11 other copies in her suitcase <laughs> that she had been giving out to, to everyone else along the way. It, it really shows the kind of advocate that she was for Canadian music. Absolutely. We also spoke to Mary Morrison again about Maureen Forrester. And the two came to meet when Maureen uh, was in Toronto to perform with the TSO. Mary Morrison's husband, Harry Friedman, also a very well-known Canadian composer, uh, was in the orchestra at that time. And... And Harry had met Maureen Forrester and, and decided that he was just going to call her Mo, which apparently she loved. I think we should call her Mo. I think that's a good idea. <laughs> well, apparently Mo was an incredible party gal. She was a super hostess. She loved to throw parties. She loved to attend parties. And she even loved to buy new houses, renovate them, decorate them, and then throw parties. <laughs> so you can kind of tell what, what, what character she had. And it was probably that outgoing nature and that that very social tendency that made her such an incredible advocate for the Canada Council mm. um, and for Canadian composers. She served as chair of the Canada Council from 1983 to 1988, and she was traveling across the country from west to east and east to west and, in fact, around the world and was really promoting Canadian music as she went. And she was communicating also with various levels of government and, and encouraging support for the arts and funding for musicians, artists, and cultural organizations. So we have we owe a great debt to her efforts, and, uh, and we still see, actually, the fruit of all of her labor. John Newmark, her, her partner at the piano, again, they had their, their um, first collaboration in 1953 at the YMCA in mm -hmm. Montreal. John Newmark was actually born Hans-Josef Neumark in Bremen in Germany in 1904, and he passed away in Montreal in 1991. As a teenager, he studied accompanying in Berlin, and uh, he founded a new chamber music society in Bremen in 1929. 
he had settled in Berlin in 1933, but he actually wasn't allowed to perform publicly for political reasons. I'm assuming that may have been because he was Jewish. I'm assuming the same thing. He made it to London, finally, by 1939, but was then interned in 1940 on the Isle of Man and later transferred to Canada. During his career, he ended up partnering over 160 Canadian artists. Mm. That's a lot of musicians. Some were instrumental, some vocal. He also worked with another great contralto, Kathleen Ferrier, on a, a couple of extended North American tours. And the Globe and Mail wrote the following review in 1960 about his playing. Superb as Miss Forrester was, much of the credit for the exceptionally high quality of the recital must go to Mr. Newmark. Always a reliable accompanist, he gave inspired performances throughout the evening, providing an integral part of each song without being guilty of either too much or too little. So the piece we're going to hear, written by Cyril Irving Glick, is uh, from his cycle, I Never Saw Another Butterfly. That was written in 1968 and commissioned by the CBC for, of course, Maureen Forrester, who gave the premiere. Um, This is a cycle of songs to children's poems, and they were children who were, in fact, um, interned in the concentration camp at Terezin. This poem, The Butterfly, is written by Pavel Friedman, He died, in fact, in Auschwitz on September 29th in 1944. He was not a child, but his writing style does not differ much in style or subject matter from the work of the younger poets that uh, are listed in the rest of the cycle. Here is the poem. The last, the very last, so richly, brightly, dazzlingly yellow. Perhaps if the sun's tears would sing against a white stone. Such, such a yellow is carried lightly way up high. It went away, I'm sure, because it wished to kiss the world goodbye. For seven weeks I've lived here, penned up inside this ghetto, but I have found my people here. The dandelions call to me and the white chestnut candles in the court. Only I never saw another butterfly. That butterfly was the very last one. Butterflies don't live in here, in the ghetto. The Butterfly by Sroll Irving Glick, performed by Maureen Forrester and John Newmark.
Next, we're going to be listening to songs by Jean Colthard. She was born in 1908 and died in 2000. And her first studies were actually in Vancouver, where she was born, with her mother, who was a great fan of French music. That's an influence that would show, I think, in, the, in most of Jean's later compositions. Later, she went to the Royal College of Music on a scholarship and studied there uh, with many teachers, including Rafe von Williams. Later in life, she went to the Juilliard School and took some classes with Bernard Bogner. And she submitted works also to people like Copeland, Schoenberg, Mio, Bartok, and of course, Nadia Boulanger, because everyone did that. That's just what you do. Uh, and she ended up teaching composition at the University of British Columbia for 26 years. Throughout her life, she wrote prolifically. She, early in, in life, started by writing small piano pieces and songs for voice and piano. And in fact, song composition was a constant thread throughout her life. She wrote many pieces uh, specifically for Maureen Forrester and several also for Maureen's teacher, Bernard Diamant. Personally, for me, there's always something very West Coast about the sound of her music. And um, that's home for me, I think, that... Uh, it's maybe it's something that I'm imagining, but I, I feel like the landscape there had a deep impression on her musical character, the kind of the misty, um, lush quality of of the rainforest and and the the cool colors in it. And there's just something about it that is is unique to my ear and that I appreciate very much. And I also want to say that she is someone who has inspired me for many years now, not only for her work uh, in a field that is not was at the time very difficult for women, but also for someone who was committed to education throughout her life, not only as a teacher, but actually as a student. She continued to learn and to seek advice from people around the world as her life progressed. I think that's um, very admirable. The piece that we're going to hear John Vickers sing uh, of Jean Colthard's is taken from her Six Medieval Love Songs that was uh, published in 1962, and they are Latin love texts that were translated by scholar Helen Waddell. And they were actually written for high baritone, but they were, of course, premiered by John Vickers in 1974 on the CBC. Uh, another tribute to how, how, what a big range John Vickers actually had. John's pianist is Richard Wojtach, uh, who was a repetitor and conductor at the Met. He also conducted the Canadian Opera Company. He played for Cheryl Milnes, Regina Resnick, and Teresa Stratus. 
Um, he met John Vickers actually at the Met, and their very first appearance together was on the stage of Carnegie Hall, so it's a rather auspicious beginning for their uh, collaboration. He was also a music director for one year of the Wolf Trap Young Artist Program. It's a pretty prestigious program for young singers. I also found on the web an interview that Bruce Duffy conducted uh, a number of years ago with John Vickers, and I thought it was really interesting. Um, so I thought we thought we'd read you a little bit of it. I don't know, Erica, you want to play Bruce? Desperately. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be John. <laughs> oh, I want to switch. I know. Well, maybe we can All switch right. the other way okay. around. My name's Bruce. <laughs> Hi, I'm John. Fundamentally, I do honestly believe that the genius of the performer dies with him, and there is nothing that can keep it alive, and not films, not recordings, nothing. Are you not pleased that a hundred years from now people will listen to your records? I think they'll laugh. I think they'll find it old-fashioned. I think they will find it inadequate. Is it even worth something as a document? Uh, interesting as a historical document, but there is an obsession at the moment amongst fringe groups who take ancient recordings and hold them up and forgive every flaw in the vocal technique. Do you enjoy making recordings? No. Not at all? Not at all. <laughs> I've had to do it from time to time. You've had to do it? I've been a naughty boy with the recording companies. <laughs> and there too you see perhaps if the attitudes of the recording companies with regard to the art form itself had any semblance of real artistic endeavor, perhaps I would not have been such a naughty boy. That is really, those are some fighting words I think for the recording <laughs> industry, especially considering this beautiful recording that we're going to listen to. <laughs> However, on a more serious note, um, we get to hear a little bit more about Mr. Vickers's philosophical side and his thoughts on artistry and um, being an artist and also just about classical music and enjoying classical music. Bruce asks, do you think that... Uh, hey, that's my line. Oh, sorry. Hey. Do you think that opera should <laughs> speak to everyone? Absolutely. I'm not sure that it can speak to everyone, but it should attempt always to speak to everyone. There is a great difference between entertaining the masses and seeking to make them turn their eyes symbolically to that idealistic, divine struggle that is the example of manhood and womanhood. You understand? That element within mankind which is divine. I think that once we lower our sights from that which is unattainable, that degree of perfection which is totally beyond our understanding, beyond our comprehension, and beyond our grasp, then if we only shoot at the treetops, it will only hit the tops of the fence posts. So you shoot higher than you can ever attain? Of course. As a result, I am condemned for my stand sometimes because I do not believe it is possible to bring great works of art to the masses. I think that we should strive always to do it, but to go halfway and say, well, we will ease the masses into an understanding by lowering our own sights, by not giving such a heavy dose to start with, by writing things about their little petty situations, and by calling it art to make the lowest common denominator believe that they have attained the heights of a Schubert or a Bach. Then we are failing them because we are deluding them. Well, let's listen to him sing then, shall we? <laughs> There's not much to say after that. This is O Lovely Venus from the Six Medieval Love Songs. Jean Coulthard is the composer. Wow. 
Jean Coulthard's Spring Rhapsody was written in 1958. Uh, there was a commission by the first Festival of the Arts, which was held in Vancouver. And it's a cycle for contralto and piano, and it's on the words of four different Canadian poets. The dedication is to Maureen Forrester, of course, and uh, she also recorded this in its orchestral version. We're going to listen to the fourth song, Ecstasy. The poem is by D.C. Scott. The shore lark soars to his topmost flight, sings at the height where morning springs. What though his voice be lost in light, the light comes dropping from his wings. Mount my soul and sing at the height of thy clear flight in the light and the air. Heard or unheard in the night, in the light, sing there, sing there. This is Ecstasy by Jean Coulthard, Maureen Forrester, and John Newmark. The sky looks close to his topmost flight.
you'd like to hear more of the interview between John Vickers and radio producer Bruce Duffy, please go to his website. It is www.brucedufffy.com. We'll also put a link up on my website. He has really a, a tremendous amount of interesting things on his website, as well as being extremely charming. <laughs> You've been listening to Sparks and Wiry Cries. We're your hosts, Martha Guth and Erica Switzer. And thanks to our producer, who we'd like to call an honorary Canadian today, Matthew Principe. <laughs>